Today, what we're going to talk about is what auditory processing is and what it affects, what can cause poor auditory processing, and what people can do to overcome auditory processing issues. That has become important to me within the last year when I started noticing these things and somebody just mentioned it to me. So then I, I dug into it a little bit and I thought, oh, my God, that's totally me. I never knew about this thing. And it's huge. Mm -hmm. And it's so complex, too, that I think more people should know about it. So I'm really excited to share what you do with everybody. And especially because of what I do, it's it's often the case that you have a lot of information in English, but not always in other languages, particularly with mm -hmm. medical related things. Right. And so I, I feel like it's really important that we bring that to people whose first language isn't English, because it might be actually much harder for them to find that. Right. And it might be there as well. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, totally. I myself, I'm pretty sure that I have some issues around this. So it really hits home with me personally, because I know I need to inform myself a lot more about it. And I know a lot of people that I work with or that follow me, they they might have these issues too and not even know about it. First, what about you? Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to this point and what your passions are? Yeah, totally. Uh, so to try to make, uh, without telling you a entire life story, I'm a former teacher and I was super frustrated with the school system and uh, basically was teaching grade seven and eight and just saw a lot of kids who, by the time they'd reached grade eight, had had IEPs and accommodations and, you know, diagnoses from the time they were six, seven, eight years old and were really making minimal progress. And, um, I was basically, you know, went through the same training as every other teacher. And it was kind of these kids just have to learn how to manage these conditions and so forth. Um, but I started going down a rabbit hole whenever I started. I have always had an interest in neuroscience and so forth. And then my daughter became sick. I won't go into too much detail about that, but it involved a neuroimmune condition where a lot of different functions were affected. And so I was almost kind of forced down a rabbit hole of how different factors like nutrition, gut health, and also our different connections in our brain all impact how well we learn, self-regulate um, our emotions, our speech, our listening abilities, all of that. And I was blown away to learn there is decades and decades of research to, so, to show how the brain can change and um, that a lot of the things that we think are just conditions we have to manage can actually be overcome. Um, and so slowly I started to make my way into a new career. And <laughs> here I am today where I specialize in working with people who have learning. Um, I say behavior, but really attention, self-regulation issues is really what they are. Um, and to help them actually overcome that as opposed to just managing that. So, Wow. Wow. It's so funny yeah. how life takes us on these different paths and we end up in a place yes. where we never thought we were going to be. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Definitely. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting. And, and for me, a lot of the people that I talk to, obviously, English isn't their first language. So at any point, did you ever talk to people who were not only struggling with the language, but maybe had something else going on as well? Totally. Um, both in the past and to this day, I work with people who have multiple issues or layers that are going on, whether it's people who English is not their first language and they have a learning disability or a speech issue or attention issue. Um, and then also add to that, you know, what I find is that people think that their issues are separate and they're often linked. So just a, a random kind of example is 
one of the questions I'll ask parents whenever I first meet them is, does your child have any skin issues or gut issues? And they'll be like, yeah, what does this have to do with our learning difficulties? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, what does eczema have to do with auditory processing? Um, but I would say like, I don't know, probably like 70% of my clients have some kind of skin issue like eczema and so forth. And that has a lot to do with auditory processing. So a lot of the time our separate issues are connect aren't as separate as we think. Mm -hmm. And you know, mom's going maybe taking her son to a dermatologist and taking her child here for this problem and this problem when they're all connected to causing overall breakdown biochemically. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know this about you. And when we first started talking, I said, oh, what did you have for lunch or breakfast? And you said sauerkraut. And I'm like, no way. I eat sauerkraut, too, because I have an autoimmune issue. So I'm on this thing called the autoimmune protocol where I'm trying to find out kind of what what I'm eating that might be causing other issues. So maybe maybe it turns right. out that something that I'm eating might be related to some of my auditory processing. Although also, I don't know if I told you this already, but I had a brain tumor several years ago. Okay. And so, right. uh, the, you know, the nerve is completely gone on this side and I'm deaf okay. completely in this, this ear. So I don't know if that had something to do with it before. I really can't quite remember if I had auditory processing issues before that. But I, I find myself, you know, saying what a lot and, and taking longer. I always have the subtitles on. You know, there are definitely things there that made me think, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't know about this, but this is a thing. And then this might be me, too. So other people have found that. Mm, there are other things going on that may or they don't think are related, but in fact are related. Eczema is one of them. Are there some other things that you could tell us that might be something that you've noticed in the past about people and and patterns? Totally. Um, So auditory processing, there's several factors that are occurring when kids have or people have auditory processing issues. Um, And it doesn't mean that they have all of those factors, but they're the factors that we definitely want to look at. And so the first place I always start is what I call the biology of learning or the biochemistry of learning. And as a functional nutritionist, that basically involves looking at things like, number one, toxicity. So um, heavy metal toxicity is a factor. It actually will damage the auditory nerve is particularly sensitive to heavy metals um, and it can damage the auditory nerve. So um, one of the things we do is we might look at, is there heavy metal toxicity? Do we need to work on, you know, gently draining and detoxing and then healing the auditory nerve so that functions better? Um, Another thing that is a big one is um, food sensitivities. So the minute I have a kid who has auditory processing disorder, um, one of the first things I will look at is sensitivities to dairy. Mm -hmm. Um, that, That one is number one allergen period, but it's just a mucusy food. So mm-hmm. it's going to affect, um, you know, the whole auditory system a lot more, but anything that is inflammatory to the body can affect the auditory processing. And so whether it's gluten for this person or for another, um, so we want to look at is food sensitivities playing a role. So those are the two big ones in terms of biochemical, but other things are and I'm working with someone who either they're a child or an adult, but they have a history of ear infections. Mm. Um, it doesn't have to be a ton of ear infections. A lot of people will say, oh, I've only had like two. And no, it wasn't a big deal. But what the research shows is that someone could even just have one bad ear infection and it can damage the cilia in their ear. And that's going to affect their auditory processing. The good news is we can heal the cilia in the ear with certain protocols and nutrition and so forth. So 
Um, those are the three kind of big biochemical ones that um, have a big impact that I like to look at as factors. And then other factors with auditory processing are things like, um, so the first one is retain primitive reflexes, which unless you have a child with special needs and you've been going through this a long time, you probably haven't heard of this. <laughs> and yet if any, anyone who's a mom who's had a baby um, totally has seen this. So if you remember whenever you have been around a newborn or your own baby, they will do things like you put your, you know, index finger in the palm of their hand and they wrap their fingers automatically around mm. the pinky. And you think, oh, my goodness, they love me so much. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> yeah, they totally do. But that is what we call the palmer reflex. And mm. so another example is we put our baby on the change table on their back and they fling their arms and legs out like a starfish. Mm -hmm. um, so we have all kinds of reflexes and they're there, number one, to keep us alive and number two, to help with brain development. However, they should integrate, meaning disappear, basically meaning integrate into the nervous system by three years of age, but typically much sooner. If they do not, then it hinders brain development of certain areas of the brain, depending on how many reflexes are retained, which ones are retained and other factors that are at play. So there are certain retained reflexes that will affect auditory processing in terms of the auditory cortex in the brain. Hmm. Yeah, so super fascinating. So one of the things that I do with clients in my program is we work on integrating those reflexes after we've gone through the biochemical piece. And the research shows that almost always when there's auditory processing, there's almost always retained reflexes. So I would say that is definitely one that you want to be working on if you do have auditory processing. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that um, is huge is what we call uh, left brain weakness and right brain overdevelopment. Mm -hmm. So this is not the same as the, the debate around right brain dominant, mm -hmm. left brain dominant, and does that exist and all of that type of mm -hmm. stuff. This is literally on brain scans neurologically, we can look at the brain hemispheres and see that in certain individuals, they have a highly developed right side of their brain and a underdeveloped left side of their brain. So meaning there's not as much electrical activity or connections on mm -hmm. that side of the brain. So left side of the brain is where the auditory cortex is. Ah, uh, right? now I see the connection here. And would this have yeah. anything to do with if somebody is right-handed or left-handed, or is there is there no connection there? Not necessarily. Um, there's more people with dyslexia. Like 50% of dyslexics are left-handed. Mm. Um, and there is a lot of people with auditory processing who have dyslexia. It's often a component of mm -hmm. dyslexia. Mm -hmm. So it could be, but it's definitely not like a determining factor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, want to say that's for sure the case. Mm. But what I find really interesting is... Um, in connection to some of the work that you do is mm -hmm. you're probably working with a lot of artists, mm. um, people who have that art artist brain, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the kids and adults I work with who have a left brain weakness, who have auditory processing issues, are these super creative, imaginative mm -hmm. people. They're really good at the arts. So they have this, that's their zone of genius. They have this beautifully overdeveloped right brain. That's where they have those gifts. Mm -hmm. But they have this weak left brain and they have this uh, auditory cortex that is really needing some more connections. So mm -hmm. another program is we stimulate the weaker side of the brain, the left side of the brain and so forth. 
um, to get more connectivity with the auditory cortex. Um, so that's, for the most part, the big things that we look when there's auditory processing issues. So as you can see, it's multi-therapy, if you will, the biochemistry, and then what we call the functional neurology. So meaning the actual connections in the brain that could be impacting you know, someone's ability. No kidding, because I've been speaking with you for about five minutes and already you've exploded my brain about all this and, and so much that I didn't know, even though I knew it existed at least, right? I, I kind of stuck my toes in the water a little bit, but I had no idea about all these interconnected things or things you wouldn't think of. So I want to I definitely want to hear more about your program later and let people know how you can help people. But can we back up first and can we kind of totally. just talk about what auditory processing is and maybe talk a little bit more about the label itself or how should we think about it and some things like that? Can we back up for that? Yeah, not totally. Awesome. Um, so basically auditory processing, first of all, it can present differently in different people, right? It's like anything. I mean, um, you have an autoimmune condition, so you know what I'm talking about in terms of it can look, you know, in 10 different ways for different people. So um some of the symptoms, though, that can appear uh, typically are things like one of the big ones that I see with a lot of people with auditory processing disorder is a hard time following multi-step instruction, particularly mm. when doing orally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm dealing with a child, I'll say, mom, can, you know, little Johnny uh, follow instructions if you say, I want you to take a shower, brush your teeth, go eat breakfast, and then pack your backpack. And they're like, nope. Gone after <laughs> like, shower. Yeah, exactly. You can remember the first instruction. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a big one. Um, another one is saying, huh, or what a lot. So you, your hearing is fine. Guilty. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So hearing is fine, but you, it's like the processing of the information for your brain to understand the meaning mm -hmm. of it mm -hmm. is a little bit slower. So then that's where we say, huh, or what. That gives us time to process. And then sometimes the person repeats the question and you're already answering it before they yes. finish repeating the question because now <laughs> you've yes. had time. To exactly. Right? I would use it as a stalling technique sometimes. And not only in English, yes. in situations where I was speaking in another language, because that gave me time literally to process the question. And I, and I knew there was sound there. I don't know how to quite to describe it. I knew there was sound there. I knew I was hearing something, but I didn't know what it was. Or sometimes I could pick out the main words and I was trying to decide, was that mm -hmm. a question? And you're trying to think of somebody's intonation at the same time and maybe cultural differences. And so it's, it's a lot of layers. Um, and to break it down, you know, it wasn't that I wasn't listening to you. I'm sorry. I wasn't. I was absolutely listening. I'm just getting there a little bit slower, you know. Yeah. So yep, I'd have trouble exactly. with that. Yep. Um, often uh, people have issues with focus. Again, particularly if they're in a situation um, like I encountered this a lot with university or college students where they're like three hour lecture. <laughs> just having to listen and use my auditory system for three hours, mm. they feel like their brain is going to explode. They can only mm -hmm. take in so much auditory information. And I want to add to that. I actually had a man come to see me. He was probably 58, 59 um, a few years ago. And he said that it was affecting his marriage because he felt like, I mean, <laughs> women always have this running joke that, you know, man, it goes through one ear and out the other. But he was like, like, this is serious. He's like, my wife thinks that I don't care. I'm not paying attention. But he's like, she talks. And I, I literally tap out. I can't take in too much mm. auditory information. And he was an engineer, so super smart. But he's like, it, it affected his ability to do his job well as mm. well. You know, it, it, there were certain things that really impacted him as an engineer. 
And he was like, I don't care if I'm 58. I, I want to fix this, even if it's just for my relationship. So it's not always how it affects our learning or academics or our career. It's also how it affects our relationships, whether it's the child to the parent or the parent to the child or within a, you know, marital relationship and so forth. So. Mm, I have a roommate and yeah, and, you know, bless him. He he is very patient and he knows about this too, but he gets frustrated sometimes when when I say what, yeah. you know, it's it's totally understandable. He he really likes, I don't know if I told you, I live in Mexico and my roommate is Mexican, but his English is phenomenal. So when we watch things in English, we often have the subtitles on. Not necessarily for him, but for me, right. because I right. enjoy having the subtitles on. And that's how I'm kind of I'm kind of listening through reading. But I've heard stories of other people who get really frustrated with just just having the subtitles on and they'll just walk out of the room and they don't want to participate in sharing that entertainment with the person just because the subtitles are on. And I can see how that would strain a relationship, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to it in terms that go, you know, much further than um academics are learning, but definitely connected to the academics um, when someone is a child. So if I'm working with an adult who has auditory processing disorder, I will ask, like, did you have speech difficulties when you were a child? Um, that's really common. Did you have a hard time learning to read or a hard time blending sounds? Did you have a hard time, um, you know, rhyming or anything uh, with, you know, putting words together and so forth? And oftentimes there is some of that that's taken place. Um, some of it's been overcome. Some of it's still, you know, an issue. So, hmm, hmm. that's making me think about um, my my own my own issue with this too. And I'm trying to think like because of my autoimmune issue, it's a chicken and egg thing. Like I'm wondering, I'm trying to now think if when I was a kid, I don't think I had trouble blending sounds. I don't think I had trouble with rhymes. And far from being, um, let's say, unfocused, I think I had the opposite. And even now, I am hyper focused on what people say, right. probably because I need I need that focus. And so, you know, what I do in my work is, you know, what, six hours a day, I'm usually one on one with somebody just really paying attention to what they say and how they say it. Mm -hmm. For example, you say you say processing and I say processing. Um, right. And I'm just I just can't help it anymore. I just pick up mm -hmm. every little thing. But I think it was a coping mechanism, probably starting sometime. I'm just guessing maybe starting when the autoimmunity started. Plus, I have this deafness issue on one side. So, for yep. example, riding in a car, if I'm not the driver, at least if you drive on the, the right side of the road, like in many countries, then if I'm not the driver, I have a really hard time just hearing the driver. Like, let's say the windows are open, that's worse. Mm -hmm. And then I, hear, I finally hear it, and then I have to process it too. So, for example, when I'm driving with my roommate and, he, and he's saying something, you know, sometimes that's when he gets really frustrated. So I'm, I try to notice as much as possible. Yeah. Okay. And that's so, I'm so glad you mentioned that because there seems to be two spectrums with that where it's either um, the person who has auditory processing issues might um, have what I call the volume turned up really high. So mm -hmm. they could be, say, the kid in the classroom who gets really overwhelmed with too much sound or the adult who gets overwhelmed with too much sound and is like, I don't want to hear anything when they get home. They just they don't even want to drive home with the radio on because they are just Oh, they have what I call sensory overload or mm -hmm. auditory overload. Mm -hmm. And for children, this will look like these are the kids. They come home and they have a meltdown. They're having mm -hmm. tantrums because mm -hmm. their system is overloaded. As adults, though, okay, most of us aren't having tantrums, <laughs> but it can look like anxiety or overwhelm or just mm -hmm. not being able to, to do another thing. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, then there is the other spectrum where 
they're not as highly attuned to the sounds and they're not picking on it. Like the dyslexic who can't tell the difference between ba and da, mm-hmm. you know, or pa and ba. Mm. So, um, and, and you're absolutely right. Auditory processing is also very much connected to ADHD and ADD. So there could be the person who um, has a hard time focusing or there could be the person who has hyperfocus or like a lot of people um, who have ADHD. They have a hard time focusing, but if they're if they're super interested in something, then they have hyperfocus and could zero in all day, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh huh. I'm so glad we're talking today because all these things are really ringing true for me, and I hope they're hitting home for other people who are listening too. So we're talking about um, auditory processing and how there can be issues with that, and how it's affecting relationships, how it's affecting ability to study, maybe your focus. What other things do you want to mention about auditory processing and what it affects before we go back to the causes and maybe reiterate some of those causes? Um, I think we covered it. Like basically the big, like the big thing I get a lot of people reaching out to me is, you know, learning and reading is huge. So any kind of history regarding that, um, definitely a spillover is going to be, you know, affecting your relationships. And um, of course, that attention and focus piece. So those are the three main pieces that I see occurring. And just one other add-on is another cue that someone might have auditory processing issues is just if they uh, prefer to learn or access information visually as opposed to just listening. So um, I remember when I was teaching and, you know, I even still see this where people are like, no, I can't, I can't just mm-hmm. listen to you read that. I mm-hmm. need to see it or I need the book in front of me, mm-hmm. um, you know? Mm-hmm. so. Yeah, basically, they can't just focus on auditory information for any amount of time or they just kind of shut down. Oh, yeah. Those are my subtitles. Give me give me the slides. Give me the, give me the book. Give me the text, too. Yeah. It's not to me. It's not too much. It's just an extra channel. And also, I'm super yeah. kinesthetic as well. So anything you can mm-hmm. give me to touch or hold or manipulate, I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, yeah. But auditory only often I just kind of zone out. I just turn it off and start wandering around inside my own brain. And, and everything yeah. you've said so far. Does any of that only apply to children or can all of this be applied to adults? And do we have other things to mention for adults as well? Um, so one other factor that I should mention is head injuries, um, mm. you know, that obviously that can affect any area of the brain. So um, and head injuries, by the way. So as I mentioned, when we're born, we have these primitive reflexes that should integrate in infancy. But because those reflexes are a survival mechanism, if we get a head injury, those reflexes can come back. So mm. we might have been a perfectly well-developed infant. Everything's fine. And then 21 years old, we get into a car accident. And as a protective mechanism, basically those reflexes will unintegrate. And so you can actually develop issues with auditory processing as an adult or a teen or whatever out of nowhere because of an accident or injury and so forth. So always considering that has there been a head injury, concussion or something of the sort. Um, and also the other factor is stealth infections, mm-hmm. um, which is really getting deeper into that functional neurology piece. But as someone who's had Lyme, um, you know, or chronic Lyme, mm-hmm. um, that can affect a lot. Brain inflammation can affect a lot. We know that food sensitivities on a smaller level, there's that neuroinflammation. Um, so if we're also dealing with things like, you know, Lyme or mold toxicity or any toxicity or any other stealth infection, that can also affect auditory processing and other functions as well. You are making my day today because 
I have had Lyme. I grew up in upstate New York, right? So everybody okay. and their brother yeah. has Lyme. So uh, where are you located? Yes. Where are you now? I'm just like 30 minutes from the upstate New York border. So oh. I li- I'm between Montreal and Ottawa. So, uh, yeah. Yes, we, we used to go to Montreal all the time on the weekends. Yeah. It was so close. I live, I don't know if you know Glens Falls. Do you know Queensbury area? Yes. Probably not. Yeah. Yes, that's my hometown. So yeah, perfect, yeah. yeah, Lyme disease rampant. I definitely have Lyme right. disease. And uh, there was something else. You went, oh, concussion. I was snowboarding one time and this person came behind me totally out of control. All I heard, all I heard was, and then I woke up. Um, who knows how long later I was soaked. So I was laying in the snow for a while. Couldn't move. Couldn't move any of my extremities. The person was nowhere there. It was like a Tuesday. Nobody else was on the mountain. And yeah, and, and I, after about an hour, I was able to wiggle my think an hour able to wiggle my toes and then my feet and finally get down to like a like a ski station and um so maybe there's that as well i also had like the brain tumor so who knows you know where all this stuff yeah. comes from is there a Great. test that people can take is there maybe an online survey at least where they can get some ideas and we can put these in the show notes later um you can just say yes it's available or or like no contact me directly is there some way that people can kind of start to self assess before they come to you um, yeah. So, you know what? I actually don't have a self-assessment for auditory processing, but now you're, you've got me thinking. But I mm-hmm. do have a pretty, an extremely detailed article on my blog on what auditory processing is. And here's the signs and symptoms. Um, so you can definitely, I mean, the more boxes that you're kind of ticking in that mm-hmm. list in terms of mm-hmm. here are the symptoms, um, that's more, you know, you can kind of be sure um, that that's probably a factor at play. And I also want to caution people I'm not a doctor. And so people will say to me, um, you know, can you can you diagnose me with auditory processing and find like, can you find out if I have it or not? And I'll Mm. say, no, I can't. But I want to caution people to not get too hung up on the diagnosis. And the reason I say that is I have a lot of parents come to me and they'll be like, well, we got him checked for auditory processing disorder and he doesn't have it. But he has this symptom, this symptom, this symptom. And the way the diagnoses work is like you have to have so many, you have to tick so many, so many boxes to hit mm-hmm. that, that, that line or that threshold of mm-hmm. if it's a diagnosis or not. And if it's not a diagnosis, then it's nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's where now I'm like, okay, maybe you don't have a learning disability or maybe you don't have auditory processing disorder. Maybe you have a glitch, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's you have still something impacting. to work on. Yeah. You, you still right. need some help. Obviously you need some support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So um, and I say that just because I don't know that all of your, you know, clients have insurance. And like, from mm. what I understand, most people are paying around three to $4,000 for these diagnoses and they're not right. getting that just for the diagnosis, not for the actual help. So, mm. um, you know, if you feel like you're ticking all the boxes, um, and you don't have insurance and that diagnosis isn't going to help you get funding, then, um, it might not be in your economic best interest mm-hmm. to, put all your money in in getting that label. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start with that then. Mm-hmm. For example, I'm I'm living here in Mexico, you know, the the healthcare is really quite good, but I don't mm-hmm. there's still a lot of kind of holes that I see. And so I'm I I have to say I'm a little bit skeptical that if I were to find somebody here and I ticked all the boxes blah blah blah, I don't know that I would be able to get the help that I need, right? Even if I have the money to pay for it. So do you have anything that somebody can do even if they suspect some of these things? Like where can somebody start? even with, let's say, very little money? Okay. With very little money, first of all, yeah, hop on my website, check and see <laughs> if, you, if you kind of sounds like you have auditory processing disorder. Just go into the blog, 
type in auditory processing in the search and you'll find probably more information than you're looking for. <laughs> um, that's step one. The next step, if you don't have a lot of money, I would start with the things that I've mentioned. Like mm. number one, do I have food sensitivities that are not being addressed or haven't been identified, I should say? Um, and again, you can pay for a food sensitivity panel through a functional medicine or an naturopathic doctor, mm -hmm. functional medicine nutritionist myself. But if you can't afford that, do an elimination diet. Mm -hmm. You know, eliminate the top foods that are known. You can you can search that on the internet. The top allergenic foods or food sensitivities. Eliminate those. I would say minimum six to eight weeks, and then you slowly add one in at a time and see the difference. Mm -hmm. um, quick little story. I had a client who they had tried everything um, for their child's auditory processing disorder. As soon as we removed dairy and gluten, this, like it was like a totally different child, both with focus, attention, reading, um, everything. Mm. And to the point where they were like, come on. Because <laughs> dad was super skeptical. I'm like, how is dairy and gluten doing this? Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then um, they they removed it and were kind of like, yeah, no, this can't be. This can't be. This is like, got to be something else. So they added it back in. And within a week and a half, everything slid backwards. Wow. And then again, removed the food totally different child. Um, is it always that simple? I wish. Mm. Um, there's usually multiple layers, but just wanted to share that it's pretty powerful sometimes how much these things can affect the brain. So, No kidding. No kidding. I'm on the uh, yeah. autoimmune protocol right now, which mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to try to do it. A lot of people do it one to three months from what I've read, and I'm going to try to do it six months so that I can really get like, I think, I hope more data about how, how something might affect me when I'm reintroducing it. But I can tell yep. you already that, yeah, cra crazy as it sounds, it's sometimes true. When I, well, the reason I started, let me rewind. The reason I started this autoimmune protocol was because of my uh, autoimmune um, disease, which is Hashimoto's. And I, I was on the medication, you know, I'm, I'm maxed out on the medication, still can't lose weight, still get night sweats, you know, uh, my asthma is terrible. Uh, what else? Ah, I had uh, knee surgery twice, and that was three years ago. My knee still hurts every day. Right. So I was really at the end and I decided to try this because I ate pretty healthy, honestly, before. And right. one thing, though, I didn't really eat much meat. I ate a lot of eggs. And pretty much the minute we cut out eggs and it was just a little test before I did the whole AIP, I was like, I can't believe this. My knee feels better. Can't believe this. My asthma is getting better. Right. Mostly just from eggs. And then I, I, I think I put eggs back in to play and I was like, yep, I think it is eggs. At least one thing. So now I'm doing the whole protocol to see if there's anything else that's hiding in there. You know, it could be dairy. It could be gluten, often very often gluten for people with my mm -hmm. my thing. But yeah, I'm going to do the whole thing so I can try to weed out as much as possible. So that's that's where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> what else? What else can yeah. people do? Right. So if you've kind of tackled that, then I mean, the next one is considering if there's heavy metal um, toxicity um, I see that I would say enough in my clients, like mm. I'm going to see 40, 50%. It's mm -hmm. pretty common though, with, especially when I, you're working with learning disabilities, which is not necessarily the case with someone who just has auditory processing. Um, but that's definitely one to tackle. And I'm, am going to caution you not to tackle heavy metal detoxification mm. on your own. Mm -hmm. Um, because it can make things worse if you're not doing things right. The body's as we know, is extremely wise and will deposit the heavy metals in areas that are less dangerous, like that and, mm. um, you know, other tissues. So you don't want to start drawing that out 
and having that circulate in the blood and crossing the blood-brain barrier um, unless you're doing this properly to make sure it's actually going through the detox organs. So I will say that mm-hmm. one is definitely how to do it yourself. Um, but even just looking at, am I exposed to heavy metals? Like what is your, what's up with your water is whether it's city water or well water. Um, you know, what am I putting on my face every day? Um, you know, what am I washing with? What am I eating? Um, I have a client recently who her six or seven year old son had a lot of, has insane issues with rage. And they actually lived in the Northern Dominican Republic for two years. And, um, they found out that the pesticides are, you know, in terms of what's legal there is different. Mm-hmm. And the child had very high levels of lead and something else anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, they suspect that it most likely came from living in the Dominican and eating all this food and so forth. There's obviously mm-hmm. some other genetic variations at play too that affected his ability to detox. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so what am I being exposed to? I think is definitely something you want to consider or what mm-hmm. have I been exposed mm-hmm. to? Mm-hmm. Um, then as far as the neurological piece or functional neurology piece, you know, finding out, do I have retained primitive reflexes? Is that affecting me? Again, you can find a lot of that on my website, some mm-hmm. good information about the different reflexes and what it affects and so forth. And, um, then stimulating the left side of the brain can definitely be um, a bit of a trick. There's different tools and so forth to do. Um, but if you kind of just go online, um, there are things you can do that it will give you some tips. I don't know if it'll be, you know, totally get you over the, over the cliff, but, um, mm-hmm. it'll definitely help. So. Mm-hmm. So, so for most people, a really good starting point would be your website, first of all. And I'm going to no. link that in the show notes, obviously. But can you say the name, spell the name, give us a way to remember how to find you there? And so that we can kind of remember that auditorily, let's say. And then, of course, we'll put the link down below in the show notes, too. Totally. So my website is my name, LorraineDriscoll.com. Driscoll, like the strawberries. Mm. Um, I say that because that just seems to be what people remember. Let me pause Um, you there for a second, because let me tell you something. You may not know this. When you buy Driscoll berries of any kind, they come from about an hour of where I live. So right near Lake Chapala. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, in Mexico, the biggest lake in the country is called Lake Chapala. And just outside of there, between my city, Guadalajara, and there you drive and you go through all the fields and you'll see all the Driscoll's farms and things like that. And they have planes leaving full of berries every day. So next time, next time you get some berries or you think about your last name, or if you're trying to remember Lorraine's website, remember to have a special rapport with the Driscoll strawberries. Very cool. Love it. (laughs) That's awesome. Um. Or you can just type in Building Better Brains into Google and my uh, website is what nice. up. Building Better Brains. Excellent. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So let's just make sure that we've got all the bases covered, right? We talked about what auditory processing is and what it affects and how this kind of disorder can, can wreak havoc on somebody's life. What can cause it, right? There's a lot of different things that can, mm-hmm. can cause this. Is there anything else people can do to overcome this? Anything maybe that's not on the website specifically or is not, let's say, more medical in a way, something that how we can connect with other people and tell them about this. Is there something else that we can share either as a person who may have problems with this or somebody we know, we love, or just people in general? What else could you advise us for for that? Outside of oh, medical okay. things, what okay. can we as, as people kind of do to help ourselves, help each other? Is there anything else that we can, yeah. that we can do? Mm-hmm. So 
I mean, the one thing I like to say is like just becoming aware of auditory processing and what it is and how it's impacting you can be huge as well, because then you know even how to help yourself even before, you know, you start pursuing interventions that are corrective. Um, just knowing, you know, oh, okay. Like, I can't tell you how many teenagers I've worked with are like, oh, okay, so I'm not dumb. Mm. <laughs> you know, I just need to access how I learn more visually at this point. Um, you know, so just knowing how your brain works at this point, whether you're going to, you know, shift that or not is immensely important mm. or letting people in your family know. I would say 80% of my clients are children, but whether they're children or not, um, yes, the moms know, okay, when I'm talking to little Johnny, um, I have to break those instructions down one at a time and so forth. So just knowing that um, that has to happen. And so if you're the person with auditory processing, telling the people around you, look, I have auditory processing disorder. Um, and so if you give me like five things at once, I'm probably not going to remember it. If you write it down, that's going to help me a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so just first of all, being self-aware of how it's affecting you and what you need. And then basically basically asking for your needs to be met mm -hmm. um, can, can really help take some of the stress out of how it's impacting your life. Mm -hmm. Oh, another speaking of quick stories. So here I am living in Mexico, right? My, my, my roommate speaks English and sometimes we speak French. Very rarely do we speak Spanish. But I have friends that come over. And we'll watch something in English. And I'll, I just always have the subtitles on. And they think I'm putting on the subtitles for them. And I think they get right. a little bit insulted. And they're like, I don't need subtitles. I'm like, it's not for you. It's for me. Sorry. <laughs> it's, right. it's something that I don't, I don't think enough to, to say out loud because mm -hmm. I'm so yeah. used to accommodating for that. You know, But just saying yeah. these things out loud and maybe more often I think might be more helpful. Right. Exactly. It's like. Um, I was talking to an adult recently who has auditory processing disorder, but also um, has that, you know, ADHD or ADD, that hyper focus mm. and has since tuned into it and told their family, OK, like if you notice that I'm getting really sucked into something, I'm not even stopping <laughs> to eat, please, um, please make me aware of that, you know, mm. like help me with it. So mm -hmm. Yeah, I have trouble with the meals thing, too. I get yeah, I just get really into what I'm doing. And I don't know if it's related to the autoimmune issue. Like I just I don't experience hunger very often. I've found that over time I, I just don't feel very hungry. So I don't have that physical like like reminder. And um, I don't know if this happens to other people, but I, I have to be reminded. When was the last time you ate? I'm like, oh, I don't. Um, hmm. <laughs> it's definitely something I experienced. And you mentioned something also that was interesting, how things we're exposed to, they might um, they might damage parts of our auditory processing, at least the, the biology of it. Is there anything else that we can be aware of? What we eat, what our, our toxicity might be, what we might be exposed to. I know we can't really look at that ourselves, but is there any other considerations mm -hmm. that we can just kind of think about and be aware of? There's definitely research that points to um, if there's gut issues. Mm that can affect auditory processing. So I will bore anyone to death about the biology <laughs> of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the brain is just another organ in the body. And I like to remind people of that mm. because it's really easy for us to think, well, how could what's going on in my gut affect what's going on in my brain? <laughs> because it's another organ in the body. A lot of us, I think by now, have heard about the brain-gut connection. Mm. So, you know, the brain-gut connection is huge. Um, and a lot of people that I work with, once we improve and heal their gut, 
that can improve their auditory processing. So as you know, you're on the AIP diet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, to anyone listening, you don't have to do the AIP diet mm -hmm. to heal. <laughs> maybe it can be helpful. Maybe that's your path, but it doesn't It's a bit hardcore for some, yeah. It totally is hardcore, yep. Um, so just doing things like being more conscious, how much sugar am I, am I eating? Am mm -hmm. I eating too many excess carbohydrates? Um, am I getting enough protein? Am I eating foods that are nourishing to my gut? Like, I don't know, bone broth mm -hmm. or sauerkraut or ferments mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. right? I always tell people, this is not like new age nutrition, as some people coin gut healing. Mm -hmm. It's stuff that our great grandparents did as part yeah. of their normal way of living a long time ago, right? Mm -hmm. So if we just go back to what we call an ancestral diet, um, we can really improve our gut health in that way alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And what about um, mm -hmm. coping strategies? And we can end with this. Any kind of other strategies or mechanisms that people might be able to do if they don't have the diagnosis, let's say, but they suspect like, oh, I'm having trouble with this. What are some ways that I can manage some of these things? Do you have any thoughts on that? Letting people know your best friend is a notepad because also, I don't even know if I mentioned this, a big part of auditory processing definitely can be poor short-term memory. Mm. Um, again, the short-term memory is on the left side of the brain, long-term memory is on the right side of the brain. Um, so, you know, definitely writing stuff down or typing stuff in your phone is really, really important. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would say that one is huge. Um, yeah, I'm the queen of post-it notes. I've got post-it notes everywhere. I've got reminders on my phone if uh, like everything is on my calendar because I can't I can't remember what I need to do. But but then I think, well, I don't have to remember it. That's why I have a phone. Like I have this thing in my pocket that can do all of this for me. So, yeah, I've definitely mm -hmm. learned to rely a lot on that. And even this week, I think it was last Wednesday, I, I was supposed to pay rent and I, I went over and I paid rent. I know that I did because it's in my phone. And if it's not in my phone, right. it doesn't get done. And if it's in my phone, no problem. And but then uh -huh. I was thinking on Friday. Did I? Because I couldn't remember if I actually had. But because I have everything right. really automated, like I know I know that I did, but I checked. And she's like, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's the same for me. Yeah, I would definitely say writing things down is your best friend. Um, you know, tapping in or capitalizing on that. Most likely the fact that you probably have an overdeveloped visual cortex. Mm -hmm. Use that to your advantage, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. use the visual cues, mm -hmm. all of that type of stuff, 100 mm -hmm. percent. And just. The other thing, too, because attention issues and hyperfocus is such an issue often with people auditory processing, sometimes literally putting timers into your phone mm. to force you to remember to go take a break mm -hmm. to eat or mm -hmm. drink the water or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it has to be in my calendar. And also um, my water bottle is always right in front of me. So those are, yeah, right. those are, it's really nice to hear. To me, it's very hopeful to hear like, oh, I'm already doing some of these things and I was never told to do it, but I, I kind of figured out what worked for me along the way. Right. So I think that gives other people hope too, that they can kind of figure out a lot of this on their way. Because it seems to me like this is not the kind of thing that you go to medication for, right? It seems like, it seems like you're looking at changing habits. It's looking at how you're eating things, what you're consuming. And this is really the answer. Would you say that's true? Definitely. Um, definitely what I call the biology of learning. And then, um, that functional neurology piece in terms of, you know, our brain has an incredible ability to change and adapt if we stimulate it in the right way. So if you can access that, um, you know, it can make life easier. So, some people can completely overcome it. Some people, mm. you know, to a certain degree, 
but there's definitely a lot of potential that in ways that it can make life a lot easier for sure. Yeah. And I feel like there's some little things in there that's going to make me say like, oh, I got to ask Lorraine about that. Oh, <laughs> I feel like we're going to have to have another episode about this. So keep keep in mind anything about hmm. language or yep. English as a second language, like learning the language right. and deciphering. For me, it's often like, you know, like in Spanish, it's often like because the syllables are different, the syllable stress is different. Like right. I have to kind of change my strategy for yeah. that, if that makes sense, you know. So if there's anything you notice, totally. uh -huh. yeah. we can have another yeah, discussion think, about that. Uh -huh. Yeah, totally. I know that the minute that, um, I mean, people who are learning just their language, right, mm -hmm. like say a six-year-old or seven-year-old often might be in speech therapy for mm -hmm. auditory processing disorder issues. So definitely now adding in a second language, yeah, that's definitely going to be that much mm -hmm. harder for sure. Yeah. Or if we learned it as adults, you know, how we how we process right. that auditory stuff might be mm -hmm. very different as well because, you know, things change yeah. too. And then if you learn in a school versus if you learn, you know, in a different way or something like that. Also, your learning modalities and things like that. So I feel like we have another episode that's already okay. written itself. If that's up, if that's something you're up for, you know, we can talk about that later. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's a great mm -hmm. place to end because it's full of hope and it's mm -hmm. and it's, and we know where to go. We know to go to your website. We know that we can start with that. And mm -hmm. to me, that's just like a, a lot of hope right there. I want to thank you so much for joining us today and talking about auditory processing and auditory processing disorder. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me.